When all is ready, I throw this switch. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Collected Edition, a comic book podcast all about celebrated runs and story arcs told in the medium of words and pictures. I'm Paul Matthew Carr, and joining me, as always, is Mr. Brian Reese. Now, uh, it's good to be here. I think this is going to be a lot of fun, and uh, there's nobody else I'd rather uh, do this with than Mr. Paul Matthew Carr. Oh, thank you very much. Okay, on this episode, we will be talking about The Immortal Iron Fist, Volume 1. But before we get into that, let's talk about some of the more interesting comic book-related things that have happened recently. And I guess one of the major things to happen is the release of the critically acclaimed film, Logan. Now, Brian, you haven't actually seen this film, correct? I have not. Well, because of that, I don't want to talk too much about uh, the details or, or too much about the film until we've both seen it. But suffice to say, it's a very good film. And there are things, uh, there are those in the geek movie world that are saying it's Oscar worthy. I'm not going to go that far overboard. I would. <laughs> I would be surprised, but yes. uh, no, I would put it in the Jackman, but uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I would put it in the topper ech- top topper. <laughs> I would put it in the top echelons of great comic book movies up there, up there where the dark Knight films. Yeah. Interesting. Like dark Knight Avengers. That, that it's that good. <laughs> I, I would pay to see dark Knight Avengers. <laughs> As I say, dark Knight slash Avengers. Uh, but this is Hugh Jackman's last hurrah as Wolverine. He so starred... I'm sorry? So we've, so we've been given to understand. Yes, yes. For now. Uh, he starred in... Is it seven films as Wolverine? Oh, Lord. That's... It's, uh, so it's the three Wolverine films, the three X-Men films, and Days of Future Past. So seven. And he's had cameos in two. Uh, three, if you count Deadpool, as a mask. I think we should count Deadpool as the mask. Okay, let's do that. So... Uh, so 10 films as Wolverine. That's pretty impressive. It's, uh, sure. I mean... You don't think that it's, that's a pretty good run to, for someone to have is 10? It's a, it's a good run. I mean, I, it's hard for me to wrap my head around someone playing the character for 10 straight movies. But uh, again, you know, some of those are cameos. Some of those are a mask. Uh, so, yeah. you know, I mean, I think it, it has added consistency to the Marvel universe or the Marvel film universe that maybe hasn't. Well, the Fox film universe. Right. We should, we should make the distinction between Marvel Studios and Fox. Right. So they are two separate things. And that's yeah. a whole other discussion. Yes. yes. Where's my Fantastic Four? Anyway. I mean, a good Fantastic Four. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, we did get a good Fantastic Four film. It's called The Incredibles. Ah, yes. <laughs> so you're, uh, all right, so let me just, do you like Hugh Jackman's performance or his portrayal? Of uh, from what I've seen of it, yes. I mean, I, I think he's a great uh, choice uh, for Wolverine. I think he's done a very good job. I know that the, most of the Wolverine standalone films have been kind of stinkeroo. Um, I haven't seen this one. From everything I've heard, it's a vast improvement. Well, um, in the X-Men films proper, yeah, he's, he's good. He's great. You know, he, he fits. Well, X-Men Origins, the first solo Wolverine, is awful. That's a piece of garbage. It should, it, you know, I think everyone has pretty much acknowledged that it doesn't even exist. <laughs> uh, the second Wolverine film isn't bad. It, you know, 
it gets a little silly towards the end, but overall it's not a bad film. And then this third one is really quite good. I think it should be noted, this is not the character Wolverine from the comics. It's Hugh Jackman's interpretation of Wolverine. It's his interpretation of old man Wolverine. No well, yeah, but, in, in, yeah, but in, it's in the same way that Patrick Stewart is not really playing Professor X from the comic books. It's Patrick Stewart's version of that. Because Patrick Stewart's version of Professor X is much nicer than the guy in the comics. <laughs> and, in an extreme way to illustrate what I'm saying, as, as an extreme way to illustrate what I'm saying, think of Adam West's Batman. That's his interpretation of Batman. It's not really what you normally see in the comics. But a marvelous interpretation of Batman. Though. Well, I'm not saying it's bad. But Hugh Jackman has kind of embodied this role. And to many people who don't read comics, Hugh Jackman's portrayal is Wolverine. That's yes. what most people in the, pub, in, you know, in the public consciousness, that's how people see this character. Well, that's the same with any character that is interpretation, interpreted for film or television, i.e. Tyrion Lannister in Game of Thrones. Uh, you know, everything, you know, for folks who aren't reading the source material, like the visual it will always be like their kind of iconic take on a given character. Yeah, that's true. But if, but if you look at the you know, character Wolverine from the comics, he's short, Canadian, hairy. He's not handsome Hugh Jackman, who's, you know, six foot 12, which would be seven feet. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, well yes. done, Paul. I, I know measurement really well. Luckily, I'm the editor and I can pull that out. <laughs> and shame on you if you do. Um, <laughs> But uh, no, I, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, the, the image most people, like for, for people who have been reading the funny books for a long time, such as you and I, mm-hmm. uh, the image of Wolverine, yes, is all that you said. And don't forget the beer guzzling cigar chomping. Exactly. That, uh, that, you, know, you see a little bit of that in this film? Oh, do they allow him to smoke a cigar in the film? Because Marvel <laughs> doesn't let anybody smoke anything anymore. Yeah, again... This is Fox. Fox, Fox uh, yeah. Marvel uh, but yes, they don't. Yes, he does smoke a bit. And you see him stealing cigars at one point. Okay. Um, he's, he drinks heavily. But this is sort of, okay, in this film, he's damaged. He's old. Uh, right. His healing factor is breaking down. The antimantium, uh, uh, how do you say that? Metal? Adamantium. Adamantium. The adamantium in his skeleton is uh, poisoning him. So he's not healthy. Uh, and that adds real stakes to the story. There are consequences when he fights. You know, I think the problem with Wolverine in the comics is that he's been so overpowered. His healing factor is so great that he can be ripped apart or burned alive, and he still comes back. In many and, comics, literally. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Uh, it's the which, Superman problem. Yes. They're forgetting the, the cool aspects of the character, and just going to just full on making him invincible. And that's not fun because there's no, there's no consequence to what he does at that point, which, right. which is in part why I think they killed him in the comics. Spoiler, by the way, if you don't know, Wolverine's dead in the comics, sort of, kind of. Uh, well, yes. Yeah. I mean, there are alternate he's versions of him. Captain America was a few years ago. Exactly. He'll be back. But for now, he's dead. And I think they killed him just to basically power him down. So that when he comes back, they can have a fresh version who can be who have some vulnerability. Although in the comics, bit. the old man Logan character is has actually breathed a sort of a fresh life 
uh, to your point, uh, yeah. in, into the character. So taking that that way in the film is actually intriguing. Yes. He says, having never seen the film yet. But overall, it is a very good film. I highly recommend people see it. To my taste, there's a few too many claws through skulls, but that's just me. Uh, is it Wolverine if it's not claws through skulls? You know, a couple of times is fine. By the eighth time, I'm like, okay, you know, we can we can do without that for right now. Well, is he jumping around in uh, Japan with uh, Electra? No, Japan. Does he does he jump around with Electra? Uh, this is an old comic. <laughs> okay, <laughs> never mind. But the other thing to move on that's happened uh, very recently, as of yesterday, yesterday as of this recording, was the release of Netflix of the Netflix series Iron Fist, the final Defenders solo film. And unlike Logan, it's not getting critical praise. And again, you have not seen any episodes, any episodes yet. I haven't seen that. Of course, I've seen all the other. You know, it just it just it just debuted what last night or yesterday? Well, yesterday. Yeah. So if you were a good Marvel fan, you would have been up watching episodes. But I was a good Irishman, so I was not watching. <laughs> Fair enough. So I personally, I'm up to episode six, and it's you know not to go into any spoilers, but I think it's pretty good. And well, I'm, it's the same like the last, uh, the second, ep- the second um, season of Daredevil. Everybody kind of like crapped on, and I'm like, yeah. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. So I'm mean, really confused about this visceral hatred that some critics have about this, and it seems it seems odd because it's people are pro. I'm, I'm not sure what approach people are taking for it and, and their expectations. I think that first season of Daredevil was so good that people expected the second season to be something different than it was. Yeah. Well, Jessica Jones was very good as well. Right. Jessica Jones, to me, the best are Jessica Jones and, uh, and the Luke Cage. But I think the Daredevils are completely good, completely entertaining. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not ground shaking in the same way that Jessica Jones and Luke Cage were, but the hate is odd. You know, is it, is I know, it I know. Um, some dude eating Cheetos in his basement? It's hard to tell. I, uh, yeah, I mean, one of the things that they say, one of the biggest criticisms I see of it is that the pacing is off. The pacing is slow, and they spend too much time in boardrooms because Danny Rand is a billionaire kind of character. But, and I can, you know, I can see that some of the pacing is a bit slow. I get that. But mm-hmm. remember, in Daredevil, there are long stretches of accounting. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> it's not uncommon in the Marvel Netflix, Netflix properties. Well, it's not uncommon, and you know, you're you're making a series. You flesh stuff out. Yeah. Um, again, I can't speak to the Iron Fist because I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Well, and I also think, and it's just it's not just Net, uh, Iron Fist. It's Netflix model in general that not having to wait a week before seeing another episode, you just immediately get into it. Right. You see some. You see a lot of repetitive things. You see that with Netflix in general, anytime you you watch something as a binge is, you know, even critically acclaimed shows, like when I've watched them as a binge, it's, you do see repetition, but that's the nature of the beast now, I guess. Yeah. So I can see how people would say, oh, well, this is very uh, tedious and repetitive. Well, that's because you just watched six episodes in a row and you're going to see the, <laughs> as in, the episodic nature of television is that you have to recap a little bit. Right. Because you have to assume that not everyone's watching this on Netflix. In the same way with the comics, you always have to like kind of reference back 
two exactly. things. That have come yeah, exactly. So I think I, I think that's an unfair criticism. Yeah, explanatory way. But I think that the biggest reason people aren't liking this is the perceived whitewashing of the character. Right. And before I get into this, I want to, uh, let's say, I am fully cognizant of the fact that I am a middle-aged white man living in the suburbs about to talk about whitewashing. (laughs) So I may come off as arrogant or um, maybe just being an ass. But that being said, in the source material, he is a white guy. So casting a white guy as a white guy, to me, is not an issue. A white guy. (laughs) Now, had the character been Asian American in the comics and they cast a white guy, yeah, that would be garbage. That would be absolute bullshit. And had they cast an Asian American actor in his place, I think that would have been great. I would have been completely on board for that. But the fact that they didn't, I don't see as an issue as it's in keeping with the source material. Uh, well, I mean, you know, as, as you've stated, it's uh, as, you know, a, uh, as a Caucasian uh, male uh, living in Chicago, I can, uh, you know, I'm with you on this uh, <laughs> in terms of like how much, how, how, how much does our opinion weigh? What does it, you know, where do we go with it? So probably it's easier for us to discuss it in terms of the actual from page to screen and, you know, particularly with uh, what we're about to discuss in terms of uh, the Iron Fist series, I I think the fact that Danny Rand is Caucasian, taking aside like, you know, what they were attempting to do in the 70s, which was basically they were trying to do the Heroes for Hire they were trying to do the uh, Power Man and Iron Fist. So it was like, you know, in the 70s, which wasn't exactly the most progressively minded decade. It was like, hey, wouldn't it be hilarious? Let's team up a ghetto black man and uh, throw in a rich white guy. And well, the white guy does kung fu. To, to be fair, to be fair. Yeah. yeah um, they did not start. They did not start out as as partners. Right. Uh you know, and I and I realized that the '70s were not the most sensitive period of time, uh, not the worst, mind you, but it's definitely not up to today's standards of decency. Mm-hmm. Uh, but two major crazes started in the early '70s. One is the kung fu craze that was just oh, yeah. started, you know, ushered in by Bruce Lee and others, Black and then black exploitation. Right. So Luke Cage was created to kind of fit into the black exploitation thing, and not only not only Iron Fist, but uh, at the same time, you had um, Shang-Chi, Master of Kung Fu, who right. was Asian American. Right. I don't know if you're, you know, he's kind of like Bruce Lee meets James yes. Bond. Yeah. So, um, but Iron Fist and Master of Kung Fu weren't huge sellers. And they were actually going to, and, and uh, to, for that matter, Luke Cage wasn't a big seller either. Power right. Man at the time. And I think, and instead of canceling them, they just combined those two uh, those two titles and teamed them up. And I think they became uh, popular in large part because of the pairing, you know, cause Luke Cage himself is a problematic character from the seventies. Right. And it was sort of this collision of exploitation genres that worked for some strange reason. It worked. Um, it worked. And some of those, some of those issues are kind of classic um, yeah. and a lot of fun, but there is also, you know, it's, 
you know, they're still, you go back and look at them and again, 70s, 70s, 70s. Uh, there's some, I mean, I think the problem is that you had, were for the time sort of forward thinking, more progressive minded comic book creators who thought they were making a political statement by throwing these two cats together and they thought they were addressing some contemporary at the time issues. Um, in retrospect, it's a little quaint and, oh, yeah. in, you know, but I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, you're absolutely right about that. You know, I think when I, I, I read that era of comics quite a bit, uh, cause I just, I, I personally really like it. It's a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. And I look at it, from a modern perspective and there are things that are not okay. But if you yeah. look at it from the perspective of the seventies, they were actually doing very progressive things or they uh, thought they, or they, or were they thought they were, they had the best of intentions, but you got to remember the fifties and sixties are just right there, right there in the, in the rear view mirror. Yeah. And it hasn't gone away yet. So those kind of outdated ideas are still lingering there in the background. Right. Yeah. You know, the guys who were creating these things were really given it their best. They were trying to be, you know, they were trying for the betterment of right. this, of the story. But they were, but they were coming from a generation with some outmoded ideas. So their progressivism was still based on like more horrifying ideas that had come before. And, you know, definitely it was still, it was still a, it was still a white men's realm. Yes, absolutely. So, in terms of like uh, the whitewashing of uh, Danny Rand, I think, and this may lead to we can we can address this coming up as well because I think um, in our actual comic book topic, uh, collected edition topic for today, I think that some of this whitewashing is addressed by Brubaker and Faction. Yeah, um, coming up, but uh, you know, I think that. Ultimately, and again, as you said, this is where we are, the worldview that we come from and, you know, the privilege that we come from possibly lends us to not seeing as big a problem with Danny Rand in the Iron Fist series on Netflix being played by a white guy. We may not see that as big a problem as, say, you know, in Doctor Strange, where folks were questioning uh, Tilda Swinton. Yeah, that's a different... That's but that's a really a that's a really that's tough a line to because, because one character was created one way and then was being portrayed another way, whereas with Iron Fist, what this character was created a certain way and is continuing to be portrayed in that way. Does right. that make sense? Yeah. So I, I guess another way of saying that is it's true to the source material. If you have trouble with the source material, that's a completely different discussion. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, but you, I, I don't think we should be criticizing a show for staying true to the source material and not trying to update it. Because how many times have we heard people just crapping on a, on a movie or a television show because it's straight away from the comics. Right. So now here's, here's a, here's a situation where it's staying true to the comic, but it's getting negative criticism for not getting away from it. It, It's very, (laughs) I'm conflicted is what I'm trying to say. Well, and there's nothing wrong with being conflicted. I mean, the idea is like, I think what's great about comics in many ways is because it, it does, it, it creates because it is a, both a visual medium 
and a written medium in a way that like film can't do by itself and novels can't do by themselves or visual arts by themselves. Can't. Yeah. It's, it's completely unique. It's creating worlds visually and in a literary concept. And by literary, I'm not trying to like say James Joyce. I'm just saying, you know, like in the written word. No, um, it's better than James Joyce. Nothing is ever better than James. <laughs> You're going to cut this part. Aren't you? Um, but, uh, I, I think that it pushes us into like a different territory in terms of representation that I think should be an ongoing conversation that we can have on this podcast if mm-hmm. we continue to go forward. That's a promo, Kitty. Stay tuned. That, you know, whitewashing and sort of the political nature, we don't even have to like, I'm not talking like liberal conservative politics. I'm just talking about the representation of the times and the representation of different ideas at any given time. Well, let me give you an example from the show. And it's, it's actually something that I've seen people take issue with on the internet. Believe it or not, people take issue with things on the internet. I think Um, the most rational uh, realm of discourse in the world are comic book forums, Paul. Yeah. Especially in the comments, the comments section (laughs) of comic book forums are certainly the height Okay. intelligent and rational discussion. Okay. Well, let me just give you this example and, and, and how I'm thinking about it. So in one of the earlier episodes, I forget it's one or two, uh, Danny Rand, a white guy, lectures Colleen Wing in her dojo, an Asian American woman in her own dojo about martial arts. And on the surface, if that's all you knew about that scene, it seems incredibly condescending that this white guy would be, uh, lecturing this Asian American woman on the proper form of martial arts. They've got mansplaining and whitesplaining. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I completely see where people would come from being upset by that. But you have to understand that in the story, he's a guy who just came back from 15 years of rigorous training in a mystical, mystical heaven realm by warrior monks. And so, yeah, he's a little bit arrogant. So he's being arrogant because later in, in a few episodes later, as the show progresses, he then has a similar conversation where he admits that she's incredibly talented and knows things that he doesn't. So from a story perspective, it's showing the character grow and evolve. Right. But if you just take it from white guy lecturing Asian woman, it seems pretty crap. But the question is, you know, if the idea is that he learns his lesson, right? But, the counter argument could be that he, so he learns his lesson and, you know, then he, he realizes that this was wrong of him or whatever, but it's still then the, it's, it's, it's still, that's still the, the, the white man's journey. Um, and the white man's experience. That's so, true. You are. I, mean, I haven't seen it, so I can't comment on it, but I'm just, I'm reacting to like the possibility. Is that a possibility that the show is still, if it's all about the white man's journey, then I can see where folks might have uh, have some difficulty. Yeah. Well, then, and this gets back to my disclaimer in the beginning that I know who I am and m- my background is. So am I blind to seeing these things? Even as progressive as I try to pretend to be, I mean, am I, am I missing things? Right. Am I, am I, uh, am I just, I don't have that perspective. So, I, I mean, I try to see things from the story itself. Right. 
and if it, well, if it works for the story. But you know what? I'm not underrepresented in this world. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> so well, I can understand people being upset who are. Right. But I think that's uh, ultimately that's the difficulty one always has with uh, with with any kind of criticism uh, by critical criticism is you know at the end of the day we bring our own experience into something and and the question is like at what point do we allow for other experiences to help shape our perception of a thing and i again i think that's an ongoing conversation and i think like with uh, some of the stuff we have lined up i think that's going to be a continuing conversation that we may never ever solve but let's just say we're throwing this out there and if someone if yes uh, yes, I, I think that's out on it. I think that would be great. Uh, you know, yeah, I, would, I would love I'd to get some feedback. I would certainly that. welcome feedback on anything that we say here um, because I think that's valuable. And you can do that by sending an email to comments at the collected edition pod, the collected edition podcast.com. Tell us where we're wrong and we might agree with you and we might not. And that's okay too. Uh, yes, I, I would love to have that conversation back and forth because there's, there's inevitably something I'm going to get wrong or something that I'm going to say that's stupid. And, um, you know, I don't want you to yell at me, but at the same time, I'd love to get some. It's essentially, it's my job to yell at Paul. I love learning stuff. So if you have some good information, bring it on. But I think, um, uh, what that probably brings us around to is the collected edition of the day in which I think some of these concerns and questions about who is the Iron Fist and why is it interesting that Danny Rand is, you know, a white guy who is an Iron Fist. And I think that that is actually addressed in what's coming up, which I think is a good starting point for Paul to introduce his selection for the day. Excellent segue, Brian. But first, let's take a quick break. Hey there. Do you like Man-Thing? You know I do. In fact, there is nothing I like more than getting my hands on a giant size Man-Thing. It just makes me feel so good. Wait, you know I'm talking about the comic book character, right? Of course you do. How could you be thinking anything else? Man-Thing was created in the early 1970s to capitalize on the growing monster craze, but under writer Steve Gerber it became something quite different. Experimental, surreal, and very very weird. It was something I loved as a kid, but does it still hold up today, four decades after its initial publication? So join me, Paul Matthew Carr, as I attempt to make sense of this cult classic and analyze each issue, putting it in the context of the time it was written and comparing it to the standards of today. And maybe you too can come to love the world's second most famous swamp-based comic book character as much as I do. The Nexus of All Realities, a Man-Thing podcast. A twice-monthly dive into the bazaar. Oh, and I'll probably make some penis jokes. And we're back. This week, we'll be discussing Immortal Iron Fist, Volume 1, The Last Iron Fist Story. It collects issues 1 through 6 in the series. First appearing in 2006, the series was written jointly by Ed Brubaker, Matt Fraction, and drawn by David Aja and Travel Foreman. With additional art by Matt Hollinsworth, who is amazing. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. I did not put that in there. Good call. Every issue opens by introducing us to a previous incarnation of Iron Fist throughout the generations. Issue number one reintroduces us to Danny Rand as he recounts his origin story while battling Hydra agents as Iron Fist and refusing multi- attack. 
<laughs> Hydra attacks, and refusing multi-billion dollar deals in the boardroom as, a C- as CEO on moral grounds. It also introduces us to Orson Randall, a previous Iron Fist, still alive in retirement, but suddenly called back by a mysterious group. Issue number one, Brian, what do you think? Oh. That sums it up right there. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I think um, besides the fact that it's, it, I was, it's thrilling to read something written, co-written by Ed Brubaker and Matt Fraction, who have been doing some amazing comics throughout their entire career. No, absolutely. Um, both, uh, you know, from Brubaker's work at DC, uh, particularly Gotham Central uh, and Catwoman, into his work at uh, Marvel with uh, with Captain America, particularly, and into his image stuff, which has just been knocking it out of the park nowadays. A mad fraction, besides being a filthy, filthy, filthy man, um, okay, has you know his his run on uh, on Fantastic Four with Marvel. And his work, um, his work in uh, in Image with uh, Odyssey and with uh, Sex Criminals and various other things. I mean, you're talking about two master storytellers. Absolutely. So the fact that ten years, eleven years ago, we got these two to team up together and work with the killer artwork of uh, David Aja and uh, and Travel Foreman. It's already exciting before you even crack the page. Yeah. Oh, it's it's it's. And it's, let's just start with, it's a beautiful book. It's a gorgeous It looks fantastic. Forben and Aja just do, and please correct our, our pronunciations, anybody out there if we need to. Oh, yes. Apologies if anything is mispronounced, because that's going to happen. Yeah. So even when you crack it, you see, I, I think it's still per, kind of Brubaker heavy. I think the narrative definitely stems more closely to Brubaker's uh, storytelling. I think that changes a little bit um, as they go on, but uh, Brubaker is a little more uh, well, seasoned at this point. Yeah, well, Fraction does uh, talking heads really well. So when you see Danny in the boardroom going back and forth and back and forth, that is really what Matt Fraction excels at. Right. To make that sort of thing interesting, which usually it's not. And he also brings the crazy. Yes, he does bring some crazy. And there's humorous bits throughout this series that I wouldn't be able to tell for certain, but they feel fraction, more fraction than Brubaker. At the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. We have a completed singular piece that they both worked on together. Yeah. And, you know, and Brubaker excels at writing action sequences. And most of, our, most of the exposition comes through an action uh, sequence. Right. So, uh, which is compelling. It's not just two guys sitting there telling you what happened before. Right. So it's, you know, it's actually quite dynamic to see. I think uh, the, with the first issue, I, I like the fact that uh, in, in the first issue, you see basically several different time periods um, sort of setting up the template for what they do going forward, which is um, giving you a little bit of history of the Iron Fists, which uh, we find out later in this, in this six series run that there were, I believe, 66 Iron Fists. Am I remembering that correctly? Yes, it is 66 yes. Iron Fists. 66 Iron Fists. And Danny, at some point, admits, Danny uh, admits that he, he doesn't know the legacy of, of the Iron Fist. He doesn't know anything about it. He doesn't know who, who has served before him. And we find out why later in the series. Right. Uh, which I guess we'll get to. Yes. 
But, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, the, the, that it introduces us to the, these sort of time hops where we, we meet Davos at some point. We meet Orson Randall, I believe, what, 1915, and Orson Randall's a heroin addict. But yeah. we also have modern day, i.e. 2006, when this was happening in the middle of the Civil War. And, uh, you know, then we have the Baiming Tiam uh, in like 1227 AD, you know, a, a previous Iron Fist. So I, I really like that fl- that framing aspect. Yes, every issue starts with uh, a previous incarnation of Iron Fist. Yeah, and we um, have no idea where we're basically coming into it in the middle. So it's almost it's almost like a Raymond Carver short story. It's like we don't have the beginning and we don't have the end. We just have a little snippet in the middle without really any resolution. But it introduces us in a very unique way to the characters, which I really like. Yes. And I, I like the fact that they, they restate his origin story with a few minor tweaks to bring it up into a, to a modern era. But it's also, that, that, again, is also used as a framing device because of how the story ends. Right. You know, and so, they do it in as few panels as possible, which good for them. Yes. Because mm-hmm. origin stories, it's part of why I have trouble with the movie sometimes. I'm like, another origin story. I mean, they just basically get in there and get out. Yes, but it, but it, but, it, but at the same time, it pays off at the end. Which is yeah. Nice. So, I mean, the first issue. I mean, it's the first issue. It's a lot of introductory stuff. I do like the fact that uh, we get the Mecha Gorgon. <laughs> yes. And this is why we love comics because in comics you can have a Mecha Gorgon, a huge metallic-looking monstrosity you know, stampeding across the rooftops of New York. Well, that just doesn't happen in normal life. No, but, you can't and but only a few pages before was uh, train ne- negotiations on, a, on, on trains being sold to China. Yes. So, which, by the way, how did you feel about the reason Danny Rand refused that deal? Um, it needed to be done, but the way he does it is... I, th- I thought it was a bit heavy-handed myself. I, I agree. It felt a little false. It felt a little messagey, uh, particularly for the time that it was written. Right. To bet. To bet. Square. Mm-hmm. are not afraid of, like, contemporary politics or putting contemporary politics or ideas into their stories. Which is fine. But when you, you know, he basically pulled out the I hate China baseball bat and hit you over the head with it. Right. It's like, okay, I get it. It's one of the rare false moves, but yes. I think it kind of resolves itself down the line in some future episodes when, when we find out what this corporation, Wago Industries, Wago Industries um, is, and we, we sort of suspect, we, we find out that Rand was right, but his reasoning may not have been accurate to... Yeah, it, it could have been fixed so much easier by just saying... It didn't have to be contemporary politics. He could have just had a bad feeling or right. didn't think it was going to be used in the right way. That's all. Or they could have just had Hydra attack at that point. That's usually a fallback. Which brings us to issue two. Issue where, two. Where we find Orson Randall coming back to the States by using Jedi mind tricks. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's immediately picked up by assassins dressed as cops, whom he eventually escapes but is forced to fight when an innocent bystander is threatened. He has a brief flashback to World War I, where he was last active, and any rampage 
kills all the bad guys with the iron fist. As he does so, Danny Rand collapses in pain, unable to believe someone else is using the power. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Uh. <laughs> so, apparently Iron Fist can, uh, are Jedi. Uh, Iron Fist are Jedi. Yes. But, but obviously identifiable Jedis, because he didn't fool those... Uh, should we tell them who the cops really are? Yes, we can tell them who the cops really are. Hydra. Uh, spoiler, everyone's Hydra. Uh, <laughs> it's, it should be pointed out, we also, I didn't mention the synopsis, but we also get a brief uh, Luke Cage cameo. Yes. Uh, when he brings uh, a rather, a rather a, a, just a huge amount of Chinese food. If you, if you look at those panels, there's a lot of Chinese food. Well, Luke Cage is a big guy. <laughs> I guess so. And we get a brief little mention of the current Civil War storyline going on. I feel like Civil War is so unnecessary. I mean, I, it, I'm sure that was the mentions of the Civil of Civil War. Now, this is the original Civil War, not uh, clearly from 2006. This isn't the mm-hmm. current or the recent Civil War uh, travesty. Um, opinions are yeah travesty yeah uh, tell me how you feel about that um as a complete aside but the only it thing does civil feel like war... the civil war thing is also shoehorned in by editorial mandate yes i'm sure i'm sure they had to do that which is why i think we should have a um we should have a halt at least a, a, a temporary halt put on uh crossovers just for a little while well so that... talk, to, talk to marvel about that I know, and we just started a whole new one. They're not listening. Or two new ones, or three. How many are running right now? I, I gave up even trying. Yeah. You know. um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, to issue two, um, you know, I mean, we also got Night Nurse. It's Luke Cage and Night Nurse. Night That's Nurse. true. Night Nurse is one of my favorite characters in the Marvel Universe. I'm going to call it the 616 just to piss off Tom Brevert, who isn't listening anyway, so it doesn't matter. But um, six sixteen or is it six sixty three? What's the what's the official Alan Moore created timeline? Six sixteen. Six sixteen. We can edit. That's right. We can edit this while I'm Google <laughs> to make sure that we're. No, you're correct. It's it's six. It's the because it was nineteen sixty one June nineteen sixty one. So it's six sixty one six six one six six one six. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I will edit that out and make us. All right, well, it's going to start well, here. Geniuses. Of course it's the 616. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my fault entirely. I did that. I got us off track. So, yes, Night Nurse, brilliant character. Uh, if you read the original comics in the 70s, it really gets back to what we were talking about earlier, about not being very progressive. Right. But the idea is brilliant because, yes. of course, these people need to be stitched up somewhere. And who better than the Night Nurse? Or Rosario Dawson. Or Rosario Dawson. Um, I don't, you know, with issue two, I think uh, it's, it's uh, again, issue two is like a lot of table setting. Yep. Um, I think we get a lot of interesting information. Some of it, some of which we shouldn't even talk about here because let people either discover for themselves or they already know about it and don't need us to tell them about it. But um, I'm going to assume that either people have already read this or, uh, they don't care because they wouldn't be listening if they did. <laughs> so let's just spoil the crap out of this crap. Okay. Um, so, I mean, spoilers. 
Right. It's it's mostly just uh, again. It's it's putting uh, the second issue is putting uh, you know a, a bunch more pieces into place. Um, and I think you covered that basically with your synopsis. There's not really a lot to add to this particular issue. I think though. It should be noted, the, the only other plot point I would say is important is that uh, when Jaron Hogarth discovers that um, the, the, the Wago Corporation or the Wago Corporation is buying up shares. Right. So it's a corporate takeover. Of, uh, of Rand Industries and why, or Rand, uh, and why are they doing that? Exactly. I do want to point out, though, that that sequence where uh, Orson Randall escapes the police car is actually quite, quite well done. It's very cinematic, where you have the, the kick through the window, the punch in the face, the turning of the wheel, the car flipping over, breaking the glass. It's all really well done. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's action sequence. Yes, which is what Brubaker excels at. His, um, his Captain America has stuff like this throughout. Right. Okay, I think we're done with issue two, which brings yeah. us to issue three. Issue it, three. Danny Rand searches the city for the other Iron Fist, while Hydra plans a hostile takeover of Rand Corp. Hydra! Hail Hydra! And elsewhere, the Steel Serpent vows to kill all who use the Iron Fist. We learn more of Orson Randall's backstory. After the war, he entered seclusion in an opium-fueled stupor, distraught and broken from fighting. He then seeks out Danny Rand and, after a brief fight, tells him that he knew his father. I should just put that at the, at the end of every synopsis. They do cliffhangers <laughs> I, quite well. We need to like get a recording of uh, John McLaughlin, McLaughlin, you know, in issue one, um, <laughs> issue two. Uh, anyway, um, so that'll be hard when we get into uh, higher story arcs. Right. Issue nine hundred and thirty-two. Issue six. I don't think he ever made it to issue six. Uh. <laughs> so we get uh, we get some good backstory on Orson. In this one. Opium. <laughs> Opium. Opium. Fighting in the trenches. Uh, I, I love the fact, you know, I mean, what is this? <clears throat> I mean, this, this is this is the quintessential team-up issue, right? This is the, uh, the uh, Orson and Danny uh, meetup, right? And what do they have to do first? They have to fight for a bit before they, they become fight. chums. Right. Yes. They have to fight... And then they become pals, and then we've got the old standard Marvel team up. Yeah, it's it's a tried and true uh, formula. I it's become sort of cliche now. I know, but I think the way they handle this here, it works pretty well. Oh yeah, I mean it's it's. I should say it's. I mean it's a trope, and it's a yeah. trope that has deserved uh, some of the. Uh, humorous comments that have been made about it over the years. But, you know, it's at the end of the day, comics are about action sequences. Yeah. And what better way to have an action sequence to have, but then to have two potential friends meet up and fight first. You also get to see like whose powers do what they're feeling each other out. You know, I get it. I mean, it's a, it's a trope that works. Yes, Um, it does. You know, it also gets to sort out the alpha male. Like, hey, who the hell are you? Why are you dressed like me? You got the same tattoo on your stomach or something? I don't know if they do. No, it it, it works. Hey, it works fine. Yeah. yeah. I also like the fact that this uh, this issue introduces the 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 crane women. Yes. Um, yeah. 
in a rather mysteriously, we don't know what they are yet or who they are yet or what they mean yet. Exactly. um, I was trying to to remember now. They don't actually get to the actual fate of those Cray women just yet. No, uh, no, no. This is just the, the introduction. This is, uh, yeah. And then we also find out that, um, well, it introduces, uh, the steel serpent in a fairly brutal way. Right. You know, there it could be written in capital letters this is the bad guy <laughs> it's well subtlety it, yes is not always important um although there I, I do like that there are other big bads coming that aren't necessarily predicted right there is one uh, little bit of just panel sequencing that i that I loved. It's, it's Danny Rand on a rooftop in a nine panel grid, but each one is him on the roof in process of jumping, swirling around. So he kind of swirls around through all nine panels. I uh, can't tell you what page it is, but it's really quite well done. Uh, he's sort of partially in each one and it gives you a good idea of how he can move. You know, it gives, it gives you a good idea of his agility and his, his, his strength and so forth. And I, I just, I, I got a huge kick. No, out of I know that the sequence. sequence. It's a great sequence. And I mean, it's, again, it's a testament to the artists, um, which we probably haven't touched on quite a bit and it should be reiterated. This is beautiful, beautiful, beautiful comic book to look at. Absolutely. Um, and just, uh, and, and not just stayed away, but in the, the motion, but just uh, in the way it conveys, in the way they convey motion, uh, which you need in a Kung Fu comic. Yeah, there's another one where where we ha- where we have the you know good guys fight for a bit and then become chums, where you see Danny Rand kind of measuring out what where where Orson's hot spots are. Get him in the right. chin, get him in the head, and it's and it's then the way it's done is you just see the uh, Orson's face with little hot spot circles on it, so you can see Danny's thought process of how he's going to fight. Right, him. and it's it. I love that sort of thing. Uh, Mark Wade's Daredevil does that quite well. Yes, very similar. Which is another great run. Which but, brings uh, us... Did you have anything issue else? Issue four. Issue four. I did not. Orson Randall begins training Danny Rand in some of the more esoteric uses of the Iron Fist, including extending it into weapons. In Orson's case, guns. He also teaches him the history of the Iron Fistesses, which is nice of him to do for us, the audience. The Iron Fistesses? <laughs> exactly. You keep that in. And... <laughs> He also teaches him the Jedi mind tricks. I mean, I'm sorry, hypnotic hand. <laughs> Comics. Yes, hypnotic hand. Insert joke here. Comics. Meanwhile, we find out that Hydra is blackmailing Jaren Hogarth, Danny's lawyer, to facilitate the hostile takeover. And we find Davos, the steel serpent, is being aided by the Kraid Mother to be her champion. Dun, dun, dun. Man, a lot happens in this issue. Yeah, this I mean, is the this mo- is this is where four, five, and six. This is where where the where the shit hits the fan. If I if I can, um, the shit hits the hand. The shit hits the hand. Yes. Wow. <laughs> well done, Mister Carr. Well done. Yes. As this series progresses, you'll be hearing more of that humor. <clears throat> Just something to look forward to. One's interpretation of humor may vary. <laughs> but yes, there is a whole heck of a lot going on here. I'm... I mean, we're, I, I like the fact that we're, we're introduced to Orson Randall's father, 
at the beginning of it, where Kreish lands his airship. Yes. Uh, his very cyberpunk airship. And that's the other thing. There's a lot of cyberpunk going on in this series. Um, cyberpunk was all the rage in the, in, early, a, in the early aughts. Yeah. And not in a bad way, but as a visual cue. Um, but, you know, I like the fact that or Randall's father is, this is, the, we, we get some of that origin where Randall's father crash lands his airship in the Kunlun. I mean, <laughs> that's awesome. Um, yes. Yeah, I mean, it's so so we get a little bit of, you know, and it's his pregnant wife, and this is how Orson ends up there. So, again, a little more origin sprinkling going on, and I think they do a really good job of sprinkling the origin as opposed to just, uh, it makes you work. We definitely have to work through this series to remember who who is where and who is in what year and what year is what happening. But I think it's we're rewarded by it, by patience. Well, this is where a collected edition actually excels from reading it month to month. Yes. So you can read it as a continuous story all the way through and you don't have to remember all these things. I'm not exactly sure how I feel about Iron Fist using weapons. Ah, uh, Davis with the gun. Or well, not, not, you, not mean, you mean Orson with the gun. Orson not, with the gun, sorry. Yeah. But they also give, uh, they talk about the one but Iron Fist was... who uses arrows and one who uses swords and right. so forth. And remember that uh, Orson was was in World War One. Yes, but my idea of the or, or or my feelings about this character, the Iron Fist or Danny Rand's Iron Fist, is that he is the living weapon. He is the weapon himself. He doesn't need other things. Do you know what I'm saying? He doesn't. You know, in in the same way that Batman doesn't need a gun. Danny Rand. Except he uses all manner of guns, just none of them have bullets. <laughs> You're you're not you're not getting my thing, man. No, uh, no, he 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 shouldn't need that. The whole point is that he uses his own physical strength, his own agility, uh, his own chi, which is his own spirit, mm-hmm. in order to defeat someone else. He doesn't need to resort to using guns. He doesn't need to resort to something external. And I think that kind of diminishes the character, at least in my eyes. The idea that an iron fist can extend that power into a weapon mm-hmm. kind of diminishes that power. Cause it should be only, and again, this is just my opinion, but it should only be within. It should be something, it, it comes from within. It is a manifestation of one's own spirit. And right. by able to put that into a bullet just takes away from that idea to me. It's, it's a minor thing, oh, but, it's, but it's kind of stuck in my craw a little bit. I don't think it bothers me as much. I think I feel like, uh, you know, the chi or what have you is the extension you're, you're extending it. Can you extend it into other objects? Well, why not? I see it as, uh, as one's spirit. Sure. But you can put your spirit into, you know, I mean, isn't the idea that, uh, I mean, obviously we're not going to have a religious discussion or a, a metaphysical discussion, but you know, just, although this series certainly does suggest that, you know, can you, move your essence, your spirit, your chi, or whatever one wants to call it, can you transfer it into an in either an animate or inanimate object? And why not? Well, you can if you plunge your hands through someone's heart. <laughs> it's already been established that that's yes. how you get it. Right. Um, so, I mean, it's a massive sacrifice in order to get this power. So to be able to willy-nilly throw it into a bullet or an arrow seems, 
I don't know. Seems lesser to me. Well, it helps with the uh, long range fighting. It does, but that's but, but Iron Fist has to fight close up, hand to hand. It's physical. It's it's it's. Unless the Iron Fist is leading uh, the Chinese against uh, British invasion. I'm just talking in a theoretical. <laughs> okay, so. Anyway. We get some backstory on Davos. Right. And he sort of is the wannabe Iron Fist. Right. His father is, <clears throat> we're given to understand, is Leikung, the Thunderer. Yes. L-E-I-K-U-N-G-E. Kung. Yes, you are correct. Kung. Good luck with this editing. <laughs> so we get some of his backstory, and he's fairly arrogant. Well, I mean, I, I think he feels like he, he was raised for a certain thing, and when he didn't get the thing he wanted. I mean, it's typical a typical villain story in some ways. You want a thing, you don't get the thing, you're mad at the person who got the thing that you wanted. Exactly. Thing. But you didn't get the thing because it was your own arrogance and hubris right the, the one thing that's making you a villain actually is the reason you didn't get to achieve your goal in the first place so again and and, and this is not this is not a uh, this is not a negative criticism to this story but they're taking you know standard tropes of the genre and they're sort of reworking them and sort of giving it sort of a modern edge right so how do you pronounce kkkrrrzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzz
And it, and, and you're not wrong. No. No. I think some of your confusion uh, about the Davos thing comes uh, is answered in issue five, his relationship with the crane mother. I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that it goes from the Danny Rand, Orson Randall training sequences where they're both wearing that over the eyes scarf. Right. And then Steel Serpent also has that. And the coloring kind of makes it, at least to me, it was a little bit hard to say, okay, where are we exactly? But I get it now. So some of the notes I was going to say are meaningless because I misunderstood something. Let's go to issue five. Issue five. Issue five. Danny and Orson, after fighting Hydra, retrieve a secret text with the history of the Iron Fist. It contains within it all the information Danny will need to compete in the tournament of the seven capital cities of heaven because we find out that Orson, after refusing to fight in World War I, returned to Kung Lung where the Lords of Heaven attempted to take his power away, essentially kill him. He refused and killed the weapon of the Crane Mother. This angered her, as you'd imagine, and she began an elaborate scheme to get her revenge. Once the exposition is done, Danny and Orson are confronted by Davos and a boatload of Hydra, Hydra agents. Hydra attacks! That little sequence, not that, just to jump to the end there, that sequence in the elevator... Uh, I actually, in my notes, said uh, humorous bit in elevator. Oh, comedy gold. Yes. <laughs> uh, I thought that was very funny. Yeah, there, there's, a, there's a great scene where uh, uh, Randall, basically uh, Danny, Rand, uh, they need to get somewhere in the building uh, that they're in. I believe it's Rand Corp. Um, so Danny Rand tells, uh, you know, they get in an elevator and Orson Randall can't believe it. He's like, you're an Iron Fist. What are you doing? And he's basically like, I'm tired. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, it, yeah, it's, it's just, it's quite good. Yeah. Um, and I think humor, the, the, the humorous bits in the, in the series are also uh, kind of underrated because in the next issue, there's also some uh, hilarious bits with uh, when heroes for hire arrive as well. Yeah. So. That is something I neglected to put in the synopsis is that, Jaron Hogarth actually hires the heroes for hire to help him out. Which mysteriously Luke Cage is now a part of, even though he was against them in an earlier issue. But again, civil war. Exactly. That's another humorous bit where they agree to take on the case and then Hydra suddenly jumps down behind them. Yes. And it's that whole thing of the guy, one person can see it while the others are facing away. There's a two page sequence where Hydra attacks two different places. There's, yeah, there's serious Hydra attacks in this one. So let's talk a second, before we move on to issue six, let's talk a second about the reason why Danny doesn't know the history of the Iron Fistuses. (laughs) Okay. And that's because Orson Randall stole the book. Right. Again, with these, the, the tropes that the, that the, that Brubaker and Fraction use, they take the idea of the mystical book with all the answers in it. Tell me, if, tell me if you think this, if I'm getting this correct. Orson, he basically, when he finds out that he wants to give up being the Iron Fist, but of course that's not an option. Right. So instead of just giving it up or basically dying, he takes his book and goes home. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It seems a bit juvenile to me is what I'm saying. I, I can understand the part about not wanting to be killed. Yes. That, I get that. Right. And not wanting to fight anymore. Yeah, but why take the book? 
because... Other than the fact to facilitate the plot so that they can get it back now. <laughs> because I sometimes myself have taken my toys and gone home, and that <laughs> means that the great Star Wars battle that we were having um, with all of our combined action figures couldn't continue because I took all the Han Solos. Would they be solo if there was a whole bunch of them? Yeah. Think about that. <laughs> because I don't want anybody else to have fun if I'm not having fun. Yeah. You know, I get it from a real-world perspective. This is why, and for 20 years of Iron Fist stories, they didn't talk about the other Iron Fists because they didn't have the book. Right. It's convenient, is what I'm saying. Well, yeah. I mean... It's still pretty cool, though. I like the fact that they... It was hidden away in Danny's dad's uh, science vault. Orson's. Orson's science vault. I'm sorry. Yes. Orson's dad's science vault. It, it's, it gets a little complex as to who, who is doing what, where, and when, and why. Exactly. And if you're going to have a if you're going to live in an empire, I think a science empire would probably be the best one. Ab- absolutely. Yeah. Science. Science. And before you say Star Wars was a science empire, no, it wasn't. It was a magic empire. Issue six. Issue six. Danny and Orson battle wildly to defeat the Hydra agents led by Davos. Hydra attacks. Meanwhile, the heroes for hire, Luke Cage, Misty Knight, Colleen Wing, previously hired by Jaron Hogarth, are also taking down Hydra agents attempting to infiltrate Rancor. Davos eventually gets the better of Orson and in his final moments, transfers his chi to Danny, which allows him to defeat Davos. And at the end of the battle, Lee Kung arrives to take Danny to the tournament of the seven capital cities of heaven. Along with UT. The University of Tennessee? Yes. <laughs> UT, uh, who I also refer to as Cobra Commander. Oh, yes. Yes, you are correct. Yes. Uh, that's, a, that's a visual thing. The kids will have to look up themselves. But yes, UT is Cobra Commander. But uh, You are correct. Look at that. I did not put that together. So I didn't do a lot of the backstory uh, the, the flashback scene. Yeah, well, issue six is when everything happens. Besides, like, a lot of extended fight sequences and a lot of information. Oh, yeah. It, it, the, the whole thing is basically a fight sequence. Yeah, it, it, it basically is, like, the least deconstructed issue so far. Almost harkening back to some of the classic, you know, Marvel where you actually had a lot happen in a particular issue. Oh yeah, like an original an original Iron Fist story would have basically a year's worth of story in about three or four panels. Yes, that's yeah. an exaggeration, but not too far off. Right. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, Bendis came along and destroyed comics for all eternity. But um, wow, <laughs> that's a bit harsh. We'll have a Bendis discussion on a future podcast. <laughs> we'll have a a Bendis bender. <laughs> Bendis. But there's a there's a part, and this is what this is what I had alluded to earlier. When in the first issue we get the flashback uh, to Daddy's origin, where it shows him plunging his hands into the heart of Shao Lao in right. order to become the Iron Fist, and then right at the end he has to do the exact same thing to Orson Randall, right? Which is pretty darn gruesome. Yes, but then he becomes super Iron Fist. Well, like great, great panel where he's standing heroically with all the like uh, the f- energy coming off of him, and he's got the he's in the pose, and you know I just yeah. Well, I do like the fact I, I do like the fact also when he plunges his hands into Orson's heart, you just see Luke Cage going, "Damn!" <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Would have been better if you said "Sweet Christmas." <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, but yes, that that pose, that that shot of him, kind of at the Dutch angle as well. Yes, it's classic comic book. Beautiful shading on that as well. Oh yeah, because you because he's all backlit in the fronts. Yeah, it's it's that's a gorgeous shot right there. So, let, how do you feel about the about the flashback sequences? Um, I I like the flashback sequences because I think they root things. I think that while it's again, if you were reading these individually, it may be easy to get lost. Like you said, reading it in the trade, you see the pattern that Brewbreaker and Fraction are going with. And you see like their introduction. And of course, a lot of those flashback sequences are going to come back and be important later on in the series. Um, but I, I like it. I like, I like them as a, I like them as a frame mm-hmm. because each issue starts with one. And I like that as a frame. I like that as, you know, we're basically, we're getting an introduction to the, you know, the book. Yes. The history of the Iron Fist, you know, and we're seeing something that Danny Rand doesn't know. So as as the observers were being given information that our our titular hero doesn't have. I agree. I agree with that. But in, in particular, how about in just in this issue where it's the, doing the flashbacks to the, the cabin in the snow? Oh, where um, where Wendell wants to run off. Exactly. To uh, to Kunlun and uh, and Orson, basically, you you finally you you realize the character of Orson when he's like basically telling me can't or he shouldn't. Exactly, and it gives you a better idea to why Danny's father Wendell wanted to get back there so badly. Right. At the same time, I think it's necessary to the story, but the way where they're inserted. I think slows down this action because this, because this issue is wall to wall action. Right. And it's just cranking along, raising the stakes, raising the stakes. And then these little flashback scenes happen. I just, it, it felt a little off to me. Like the pacing was just a bit not right. Or it's a pause for breath. Oh, screw breath. It was really cranking there for a while. <laughs> I, it could have been, I, I, and again, this is just a nitpick, a tiny little thing. I just felt it would just, So you're an action man and I'm an exposition man. I have no problem with exposition and I'll tell you about it in detail. Uh, I like, I like exposition during action. Yes. I I love the fact that uh, our, our superheroes can, can uh, discuss and talk whilst kicking ass. Yes, absolutely. I I appreciate that as well. Or even just having internal monologues going on. This just seemed, cause you have that, we were just talking about the, the big heroic moment and then boom, we're back in a cabin and for a couple of pages, it's just sort of nothing. And then we're back to Danny facing off with the steel serpent. We're building suspense. Uh, or taking the air out of your tires. We're building suspense. It just felt a bit off to me. And again, it's not bad. It's just a little, just a little thing I noticed. I got to, I got to come up with things I don't like about this because otherwise it's just going to be going, this is really great. Well, I sort of feel like um, this particular this was your recommendation Mm -hmm. um although we had both read it way back in the day but since we're collected editions you know we're we're discussing arcs uh that have been collected um as i was rereading this thank you for restating the premise by the way (laughs) i'm here to help (laughs) but i sort of feel like uh like this was almost a perfect recommendation from you uh based on what i know of your interest in 
sort of Eastern philosophy and Eastern religion. Mm-hmm. Um, does that interest that you have, if this is still an interest that you have, I believe it probably still is. It is. What I like to say is I'm a Buddhist. I'm just really, really bad at it. <laughs> but I felt like, <laughs> you know, I felt like uh, this series in particular, like probably scratched a lot of your itches in terms of things that you're interested in either, even outside of the funny book realm. Am I wrong on that? No, you're not wrong about that. But at the same time, I mean, this is a, this is a much more um, comic book version of those ideas, as you right. can imagine. Uh, but I do like the fact that sprinkled in throughout this story, they have references to, uh, to Lao Tzu and Sun Tzu and various other uh, actual real world texts. Right. But they don't explain about it because these are characters who know what they are. I wouldn't say to you, you know, right. Ulysses by James Joyce. He's an author who lived in Ireland. I wouldn't say that. You would, you would automatically know what I'm talking about. Right. So, uh, and I, so I do appreciate the way that they're kind of sprinkled in. And if you know what they are, great. And if you don't, it doesn't take anything away from the story. Uh, but I do love Eastern mysticism, that whole aspect of it. And not just not just in a religious sense, but also the, the mythological aspects of it. So the fact that there's a giant dragon that you have to plunge your, heart, your hands into in order to get a mystical force, that also tickles a fancy of mine as well. And it's comics. And it's comics. But yes, I was, I, I was, I've, I've always been kind of drawn to Iron Fist as a character because of that Eastern feel. Sure. Um, now this can get back to uh, the whitewashing thing again. Because it is a white character going to be taught by the strange Eastern mystics, bringing it back to the West to be their biggest champion. I don't want to get into that conversation again. But yes, I, I do. I do really. Uh, I do like this. I, I don't know if you call it a genre. Oh, it's it, it, it's a genre. Well, how about you as a? Because your Iron Fist, I don't think, is one of your favorite characters or anything like that. Well, not one of my favorite. When I first picked it up, the reason I picked it up was Brubaker. And Fraction. Well, yeah, that's obvious. Uh, particularly Brubaker at the time. I mean, Fraction wasn't somebody I really knew a whole lot about at the time. Um, and, you know, it's for me in the Marvel Universe, I'm, I'm more interested in the, you know, the Luke Cages, the Daredevils, the Iron Fists, the uh, Doctor Stranges. Uh, the Iron Fists is, 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 is. Uh, The <laughs> exactly. Doctor Stranges. You no, know, I, I like sort of the more peripheral or I guess you would say B-level characters. Mm-hmm. way more than you know the captain americas and the and the iron mans and and whatnot and i think that's even in my current pool list uh it's definitely more heavy in in the peripherals overall impressions of this series uh for the entire series or just the uh, six issues that we discussed just for the six issues we just discussed all right for the first six issues we discussed i mean i dug it i mean again going back the art is amazing. Uh, the writing, I think, as you pointed out, in a couple instances where there might be some problems uh, with with the writing in terms of pacing, which I think eventually gets worked out, particularly in the next arc, <laughs> the next collection, which is yes, kind of one of my kind of one of my favorite runs ever in a comic series. Yes, and that will we should probably cover that on a later episode. Yes. Um, but for this, I mean, I think it's an incredibly well done um, introduction, bringing Iron Fist back into a level of prominence in the Marvel universe. It, it made him relevant again in this, yes. in the Marvel universe, which he hadn't been for a decade or more. Right. Yeah. So I, I personally, I really love this series. Uh, I, I love the 1970s 
uh, incarnation of this character, which is silly and stupid, but it's just gloriously st- silly and stupid. But this made him made him a, a like I said a relevant character, and uh, it's I, it's a great story. I did some really nitpicky things about the pacing, but I need to emphasize that that is just small potatoes. Overall, I found this to be just a really fantastic run, really well told story, beautiful art uh, by two of the premier writers uh, for comics in general, not just Marvel. Great action sequences. Oh, yeah. Fantastic action sequences. Absolutely. So I think we should draw a close there. Okay. Uh, So before we go, do you have a recommendation for me? I do. I have a recommendation for your reading for the next podcast. You will be reading the first edition, collecting issues one through six, of uh, Joe Casey and Tom Scioli's Godland. Oh, yeah. That's going to be fun. Yeah, it is going to be fun. Um, the collected edition uh, put out by Image is uh, collecting issues one through six. is called Hello Cosmic, and it's Godland 1. And if you love your Joe Kirby, you're going to love Godland. Okay, looking forward to that. That's going to be just fantastic. It will be. You will thank me. Okay, well... I think we're going to cl- uh, we're going to finish this off. But first, I have to say this. You've been listening to The Collected Edition, a comic book podcast. The Collected Edition is a Daddy Elk production. All materials used on the show are copyright their respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. The show can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, as well as online at collectededitionpodcast.com, where comments can be left on individual episodes. You can also send us feedback at comments at collectededitionpodcast.com or on Twitter at the Daddy Elk Productions handle at Daddy Elk and use the hashtag Collected Edition. The Collected Edition, a comic book podcast, is for entertainment purposes only. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? So thank you to everyone to, for who made it this far. Uh, thank you for listening to The Collected Edition. We'll be back in about two weeks' time with Godland. Goodbye, everybody. Toodles. call them peripherals that's not necessarily fair i would say daredevil probably is an a-list but um well he is now he he wasn't uh years ago yeah but i mean he kind of has been we're he's, getting... a, he's a pre- he's a perennial character from right. marvel but he's never he was never really an a-lister up until i'd say the early 2000s despite having basically having a-list writers from the time Frank Miller took over up until the current run by Charles Soule, who is not and should not be considered an A-list writer. But other than that, before that, I mean, he basically... Uh, I, I, I look at him in the same way that, you know, in the same way that Aquaman is for DC. Yes, he's one of the Pantheon of great characters, but he's kind of, he's always been sort of uh, pushed aside, even though there's been great writers writing for him. He's always sort of off on the side. And forgotten in the shadow of some of the bigger, now your Superman and Batman and so forth. Well, yes and no. I mean, I, I think he's taken. I think Daredevil has taken 
on his own merits in many ways because he was not part of a team. He was never part of a team. I mean, now in the last few years, they put him through him on the Avengers briefly. That didn't really work. Um, the modern, the modern you know, defenders too is what right. And the the current defenders he's going to be on. Well, the current defenders really have no similarity to the to the actual. Well, to be fair, there was a, there was a defenders run in the in the two thousands that had yeah. had these um, characters. Oh right, yeah, yeah. I, that was that kind of that didn't last long, right? No, it didn't. But, but you know, I, I think the fact that they and and even during like numerous of his runs, even when Bendis Bendis was writing him and uh, Brew Baker and some others, they kept him out of a lot of the big event comics, and I think that was a conscious choice. I think also the writers, because they had A-listers writing it, and the A-listers were like, no, I'm, I'm not, you know, the, the, the writers had the ability to say, because they were strong enough, they had the ability to say, no, I'm, I'm not going to write, uh, you know, I'm writing my story, and I don't have room in my story for a random crossover with a random event that's not going to mean anything to the comic in the long run. No, I and so Daredevil was left out of a lot of that. He might have appeared, you know, in the big event, the actual real big event, um, as a character kind of wandering around doing stuff, but it never affected his actual, the actual run on his comics. Okay. Everything you just said was incredibly fascinating, but very far afield. Yeah, I was just about. I was just wondering how we got here. <laughs> I'm going to rein you back you in. To, you might have to cut. You, you might have to cut that stuff out. That's something. I'll, we can I'll, I'll save it and do it as a bumper at the end. <laughs>